Welcome to another episode of Today's Lesson, a Nick Cave podcast. I'm Andrew. And I'm Sean. And today we're here to talk with you about the second track from Your Funeral, My Trial, The Carney. Sean, how you doing? I'm great. I'm sore. I ran way too far yesterday. But uh, no, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm ready to talk about this freak of a song uh, with you. Andrew, how are, how are you right now? I'm doing good. Um, this song definitely has put me in a in an interesting mood, let's say. It is a very odd one amongst the songs we've talked about so far. And, and you know, really, there's not a whole lot like it, uh, you know, going forward. Uh, but it definitely, you know, leaves you with some, some images in your head. Um, so I'm just in a real carny mindset right now. I... I'm terrified as to what that means. I could not get into the mindset of the song, but you know, that's because it's oh, it's horrifying. It does leave you with images. So I think I'm there, but I'm not quite that deep. Let's get right into it. Musically, you know, once again, McHarvey doing it all. He brought the guts of an old piano into the studio on the very first day, tuned certain strings and uh, played them with a guitar pick, very much setting the tone not only for this bizarre album, but the song in particular. It opens with with this sort of bizarre, haunting harmonica, um, which is courtesy of Nick, but just about everything else, um, other than drums, because this is a Thomas Wiedler performance. You know, you've got xylophone, you've got glockenspiel, you've got organ, um, this fucked up weird piano that he's literally plucking <laughs> like a horizontal harp. Um, that's all Mick Harvey. And uh, despite him being in command of all of it, nothing really sounds exactly right. Uh, it's very bizarre. Um, that's, that's some interesting. I was wondering what the hell was making that noise at the start. Uh, now it makes sense now i can picture somebody plucking a piano <laughs> just that harmonica is just so immediately you know you're, you're in for it almost reminiscent of the last album some kind of like it, it struck me as a train whistle at first and i thought that was going to be some sort of train theme song again but yeah that last note that it hits is just like oh fuck where are we going why yeah, definitely kind of reminds me of a of a train horn as well. Uh, and uh, this song, this song does sort of inhabit that space. I think that we became familiar with on the first album, though. This really does feel to me 
less like a, a box for Black Paul or a Saint Huck where it's filled with references. Um, to me, this this just kind of feels, generally speaking, like Nick just wanted to write a story about a place, you know, a group of people, and just see where it goes from there. Um, that's just kind of my general feeling about the song. Uh, where are you at with this one? I I definitely agree. It's the sort of thing where it, there are references, there are you know little shout outs and and different things. But it, I think that this one would be one that someone would be. Uh, you could be faulted for digging too deep into it because it is just kind of a a tale, a fable about a carny and the troop that the carny uh, ultimately leaves. And beyond that. Yeah, I don't know, dragon, dragon musically and, and thematically from the first few albums, but like you said, far more spare when it comes to the depth uh, of the song itself. Yeah. Um, yeah, one more thing before we jump uh, right into the lyrics. We mentioned this before, but this is one of the uh, one of the songs that's in a different time signature than maybe we're used to uh, with Nick Cave. Uh, this song is a waltz. Um, it's, it's a, you know, sort of a horrifying yet languid three four time waltz and uh you know really it helps this song get this ethereal sort of floating uh and traveling uh sort of cadence to it yeah and and don't quote me on this i think it's unique in that it is their only waltz is that does that ring true does uh, sound right I'd have to listen back to the songs. I mean, we already had one that was sort of in a waltz time, um, though that was kind of closer to 6-8. I would be kind of surprised if this were the only one, but I wouldn't be, you know, super shocked. Yeah. Again, don't quote me on that, but I can't think of one. Well, let's keep, we'll keep an eye on that for sure. Um, but yeah, let's jump right into the lyrics, uh, unless you have anything else to say about the music. No. Nope. Verse... The first. And no one saw the carny go, and the weeks flew by until they moved on the show, leaving his caravan behind. It was parked out on the southeast ridge, and as the company crossed the bridge, with the first rain filling the bone-dry riverbed, it shone just so upon the edge. Away, away, we're sad, they said. Shall we make of this, uh, introductory passage well as we were saying i think it's simple set dressing i think that we're just being placed in a in a place with the set of characters we're about to be introduced to and i don't know that's what i make of it there's a traveling carnival and they are leaving town and somebody is not with them and it is raining for the first time in a while that's right yeah um an introduction to the the show uh, the caravan, the group of people uh, that will be watching. Um, none of them saw the carny leave. So, you know, first line, we've got basically a mystery being set up. Um, you know, it, it would seem that every few weeks the show moves on. They are seen departing the vehicle of this unnamed carny. Um, and uh, as they leave... Uh, they can see it just glimmering, perhaps teetering uh, off in the distance. And now the cast of characters, uh, 
Dog Boy, Atlas, Mandrake, the Geeks, the Hired Hands, there was not one among them that did not cast an eye behind in the hope that the Carney would return to his own kind. So here we, we have the rest of the troop, uh, somewhat identified, but, you know, uh, a stereotypical group of carnival folks, uh, the, the freak show, if you will, or the, uh, what would you call that in a nicer way? The... <laughs> A bunch of freaks. A bunch of freaks. Right? The sideshow. Um, but you have Dog Boy, which you could imagine is a, a dog-looking boy. Uh, Atlas, which from, from Charles Atlas or from the Grecian uh, tradition, Atlas, who held up the world a strong man. Mandrake. Uh, Andrew, did you find anything on Mandrake? <laughs> Probably some dude that just looks like a plant, honestly. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair en- Oh, no, wait mandrake i actually found uh an old reference to a 1930s cartoon about mandrake the wizard who uh had a had an an episode at a carnival and he's a he's a crime fighter wizard and so i think it makes sense for this i have no idea if that's actually what he's talking about yeah or perhaps some kind of plant plant plant-based uh freak that was the first thing i looking (laughs) some screaming tiny the tree man man. yeah exactly Looks like a little thing of ginger, like the guy in the Jinjin's box, if you've ever had those. Just him <laughs> shrieking constantly. We were um, both from the 1920s, so yes, I'm <laughs> very familiar. <laughs> Intimately familiar with those delicious ginger candies. Uh, the Geeks and the Hired Hands. Geeks, uh, this actually, this whole line, if anyone's an X-Files fan out there, I, I highly recommend you either go watch or rewatch the episode Humbug. Um, that introduced me to the term geek in this, in this way, but it's basically someone who, I don't know, is like tormented for fun or will eat weird stuff and say nothing about it. And, um, you know, for the amusement of others, but the, the episode of X-Files humbug is very reminiscent of the carny and this cast of characters feels like a straight out of that. So I'll leave it at that, but definitely a recommendation there. Uh, you get you get anything else out of this, Andrew? They it kind of describes how they're handling the loss of the carney. Well, I imagine that the hired hands are just you know severed, disembodied hands that are you know <laughs> tying shit up on top of the wagons. Uh, but no, yeah, just uh, introducing the cast. I think the um, sort of the nature of this cast. You know, we can reflect on a bit later. Um, when some stuff happens but all in all just uh yeah more uh you know set dressing more creating the the cast and you know these are these are lovable freaks these are people that um you know every one of them even the hired hands looked back they 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 miss their friend they're missing him you know he disappeared didn't say a word and it sounds like everyone's kind of bummed uh yeah bummed and concerned uh whether or not they know exactly what happened uh perhaps up for debate but seems like they they don't really know and i i laughed when you described the hired hands i just imagine there was a bunch of roadies and like metallica and anthrax shirts hauling around <laughs> all this shit with all these people walking around but i like the disembodied hands more of an adam's family vibe but it's more of an adam's family vibe and also i don't i don't actually believe that but <laughs> i think it's funny it's whatever you want it to be the carny left behind of horse, all skin and bone, <laughs> that he named Sorrow. And it was a shallow, unmarked grave that that old nag was laid in the then parched meadow. 
So, Carney uh, named his horse Sorrow. He might not have been having the best time at this carnival. <laughs> the horse was buried before the, the rain we've been introduced to has uh, begun to fall. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah, I don't know. This is this is the part that kind of humanizes the carny, or at least gives us some some insight into who he was. And yeah, I don't think he was having the best time. Uh, also, it sounds like he might have been abusing an animal, which, I don't know, doesn't make him too sympathetic in my eyes. But uh, it's, a, it's yeah. a beautiful piece of imagery to have a, a skin and bones horse named Sorrow uh, having to be dealt with by the by the remaining crew after he pieces out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think compared to, and we don't know much about the Carney. The Carney is sort of, uh, you know, as we'll, as we'll see, Carney's sort of a mystery. But given the, some of the other things going on, some of the other characters, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, he might have been the only reason the horse was alive. Um, but no real way to know. Yeah, on to verse three. There it is. And it was the dwarves that were given the task of digging the ditch and laying the nag's carcass in the ground, while Bospolini waved his smoking pistol round, saying, The nag was dead meat. We can't afford to carry dead weight. While the whole company standing about. Did you like my, my Blixa impression? I did. This delivery from Blixa, every time, and we've talked about this, but every time I hear these lines, I just, it sounds like Ren from Ren and Stimpy to me. <laughs> Stimpy, we can't afford to carry dead weight. It just, it's just so good. And it really, as we'll see in other songs, when Blixa pops up and delivers some lines, oh, it's just so good. Yeah. Yep. Everything. Ah, man spits gold. It's it's a beautiful thing. This is I this is the highlight of the song to me, or uh, for me, by far is his delivery of the Bospolini lines. Yeah, so we've got sort of the leader of the uh, the troop here. Um, you know, obviously he's not doing any of the digging. Uh, that's that's for the the poor dwarves. Um, Classic manager. Yes. <laughs> Bospolini is management material. Um, you know, he's got his smoking pistol. It, it's it's very clear to me that, you know, he has put the nag out of its misery. Um, with the smoking pistol imagery now, that's not necessarily in the text, but that's what I imagine. Oh, and yeah. it kind of lends credence to me that, you know, some of these people... And animals really, you know, they're looking out for each other. This guy's just trying to make a quick buck. Yep. He's the businessman. That's what he brings to the table in a, in a troop of people with unique skills. Yeah. <laughs> he brings and a great the, accent. A great I mean, the man's voice is impeccable. But And in that respect, you might say he's the wren of the, uh, the troop here. <laughs> the wren to all of these stimpies. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the whole company standing about, not making a sound, and turning to the dwarves perched on the enclosure gate, the boss says, bury this lump of crow bait. Um, he says a lot more eloquently. I'm not, I don't even know if I can 
<laughs> can match that one, but um, yeah, yeah, we no, are it's... we are uh, we are ready to uh, continue on. Yeah, so the rain came hammering down. Uh, everybody running for their wagons, tying all the canvas flaps down. The mangy cats growling in their cages. The bird girl flapping and squawking around. Uh, so immediately after his his command. The rain starts falling down. Some may take that as a bad omen. Uh, the bird girl is not having it, and we've we've talked about birds as omens before. So, yeah, something maybe, but uh, yeah, it's it's the the carnival is a little bit in disarray after after so much dry weather. Uh, the whole valley reeking of wet beast, wet beast and rotten sodden hay, freak and brute creation all packed up and on their way. Um. Yeah, just not just imagery, but smellery. Um, I don't know. I feel like I can it, I can smell you know wet dog and you know this musty hay and oh, it's just really really good imagery, even if it doesn't mean a whole lot. That said, I think there is something to verse four that that kind of uh, becomes illuminated a bit by verse five. The three dwarves peering from their wagon's hind, Moses says to Noah, should have dug a deeper one. Their grizzled faces like dying moons still dirty from the digging done. And I'm not going to try and impersonate that, but (laughs) (laughs) this is another excellent delivery from everybody involved. Exactly. Um, What do you make of the names of those dwarves? I think it's, I think it's a funny little, little play here because uh moses and noah of course are very biblical names and both men with great experience battling large bodies of water uh moses having having parted the red sea and walked across it noah having built a boat to float upon it and this is kind of moses ribbing noah and and saying you should have dug deeper because uh, assumedly the horse is going to be impacted in some way by the rain uh perhaps brought to the surface if the hole was not deep enough as corpses are wont to do in these conditions <laughs> we really got quite an education on this kind of stuff just by going through these first few nick cave albums yeah, um, corpse corpsology no uh, that's that's exactly what i got from it I, I don't think there's you know a whole lot of need to to belabor it but um and i don't think there's some grand meeting meaning to this song um based on that i think it's just a nice little you know reference to throw in especially with the previous stuff about you know the cats and the bird girl the description of the uh, quote-unquote freaks you know a valley wet beast freak and brute creation packed up and on their way definitely some some noah imagery and then obviously yeah moses being the one to part the waters you know we might see the waters uh yeah change the status of that horse's tomb um <laughs> yeah and then faces grizzled like dying moons that's just to me feels like good imagery and you know they they're the ones that have been doing all the digging Bospolini is nowhere to be found of course um who's this third dwarf by the way <laughs> Dude, who knows? There's three of them. You got Moses, you got Noah, and you got dwarf number three. Yes. That's how he would appear in the credits. (laughs) Famously Charlie. 
And Charlie, the eldest of the three, said, I guess the carney ain't gonna show, and they were silent for a spell, wishing they'd done a better job of burying sorrow. So they've been waiting. Uh, Charlie is the long-awaited third member of the dwarves. Uh, you know, I think maybe just a joke from Nick. You know, this isn't a biblical <laughs> character at all. It's just this dude hanging out. Um, so, you know, they'd been waiting, you know, for the carney to return. They obviously care about their friend. They, they, they feel like they didn't uh, bury the horse well enough. The rain has... has painted a certain image in their mind of the horse rising up we'll see as we go um the idea of burying sorrow not deep enough uh is a fun sort of slightly metaphorical kind of thing i'm not 100 percent sure where that fits into the song uh but yeah i think it can be read as just kind of a minor reflection on on handling sorrow and grief and you know everyone in the troop is clearly missing the carney and they're trying to do right by him by burying the horse and kind of regretting that they didn't put enough time into it. And we have, you know, in foil to that, Bellini, who is interested in, in keeping things lean and efficient and clearly doesn't have time for sentimentality. And so he shoots sorrow in the head as a way to deal with it and tells someone else to clean it up. Uh, we, we, we assume, yeah. We assume. It seems, seems right. But uh, the dwarves themselves are, are kind of wishing that they had you know, if you're reading it metaphorically, he's perhaps spent more time coming to terms with the loss instead of, you know, wishing to the last moment that maybe he'd show back up knowing that, you know, weeks have gone by since he left there without a word. And so he's probably not going to come. And, uh, yeah, they will. Maybe that time could have been better spent holding some kind of service or whatever, but no, I I like that reading a lot. Yeah. Sorrow may come creeping back to the surface. (laughs) I, you know, Bellini's holding the pistol. I think, I think it, you know, they're not gonna, they're not gonna really push their luck with, uh, showing their, their, uh, worry or sadness or, or, you know, paying respects as they should maybe, but, or even, you know, digging a deep enough grave. Um, but yeah, yeah, I like that. Again, classic manager, do it quickly. (laughs) Just put them in the ground. Um, verse six, and the company passed from the valley into a higher ground. The rain beat on the ridge and on the meadow and on the mound until nothing was left, nothing left at all, except the body of sorrow that rose in time to float upon the surface of the eaten soil. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is basically Nick telling you a sweet little bedtime story and... (laughs) This is what happened. And then the um, horse's bloated corpse floated to the surface. <laughs> well, good night. <laughs> End of the story. Um, passing from the valley into a higher ground does sort of, uh, you know, evoke flood imagery, you know, escaping the rising water. Other yeah. than that, yeah. I mean, the rain is is also often a metaphor for cleansing whether that be, I don't know, like Watchmen cleansing the dirty city or uh, uh, Fleetwood Mac dreams when the rain washes you clean, you'll know. Um, I think that the rain is, is, I said earlier an omen, but perhaps here simply the um, 
cleansing of the door with their faces, you know, dirty, having dug, it's washing them clean, but then they get to see the, the fruits of their labors once that's done. And, and the rain also brings back to the surface again, the sorrow that they tried to put away. Yeah. And if you really want to go, you know, probably too deep into it, you could take it as just, you know, you will encounter certain events. Maybe it's a flood. Maybe it's something less biblical where, you know, sorrowful memories or different things rise up and, and sort of haunt you again. Um, that's mostly me just trying to find a little bit more meat on this, uh, horse's bones. <laughs> this old but, nag. Uh, <laughs> this old nag. Um, but yeah, that's, that, well, that's all I got really for verse six. Yeah. And, and so moving right along, uh, and a murder of crows did circle round first one and the others flapping blackly down. And so I think we're just kind of, uh, seeing boss Bellini is, was right. This is just crow bait. The, the body of the horse was going to attract these birds, but they've moved on. And so I'm not sure exactly why he would have wanted to prevent that, uh, crows again. We've seen crows a number of times over the past few albums. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I really don't want to dig too deeply into this because I don't think there's anything more than than a lot of imagery happening. Yeah, I, I mean, the crows, it seems like at this point it must be some kind of knowing reference to, you know, some of the, the stuff on the last album. Um, but he just likes that gothic imagery. And uh, one thing I did want to say is, there might be an alternative reading of this song where Boss Bellini uh, saved everybody's ass by not having to carry <laughs> that dead weight, and maybe they escaped the flood because of that. Now, ah. I don't choose to believe it, but if you want to take a pro-managerial sort of uh, stance uh, here on this song, you know, maybe he maybe he did them all a favor. Say he he could have done that by giving them a day off and having them pack up a day early, but uh, I think that if we're reading this strictly as a management parable, um, I, his hands were tied there. There's no way he could have done that. He's going to do everything he can with the constraints of being a complete useless parasite. <laughs> this is a very anti-managerial podcast. Uh, any managers <laughs> out there just know, you know, you might be doing a, a good job, um, but you're not. We could manage without you. And the Carney's van still sat upon the edge, tilting slowly as the firm ground turned to sludge, and the rain had hammered down, and no one saw the Carney go. I say, it's funny how things go. <laughs> and just what a... You're right, Nick. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> how these things go it's hilarious that's yeah funny stuff funny stuff sean does that last line do anything for you or does it kind of make the song not as fun after you finished it i i love that line i really do <laughs> it's <laughs> it's funny how things go is a line that you could say after anything that has ever happened to you <laughs> and it will have exactly the same amount of impact in every scenario 
yeah. well now after this song i mean i feel like i've heard heard it used for just about everything i was gonna um, say it's, it's funny how those things go <laughs> it does also rhyme go with go which <laughs> uh you know i you know i love the lyrics of this song i think they're great but you know we point out a couple of things that i think we that stood out to us because they were a little uh out of left field i would say to be to be polite and this this is definitely one of those things for me yeah no it's it's a sideshow in itself we get to take a detour here uh to a very strange place that um will not really be revisited directly and i love it for what it is but uh in the same reason i don't necessarily go to the circus all that often i i don't come back to this song all that often as a as a standby i do love it though it's it's fantastic it's such a mood you, you really have to be in the mood i think to to commit the time i mean eight minutes isn't that long but compared to a lot of other songs um that he's done it, it's pretty lengthy and i you know i'm totally here for the imagery i really enjoy the turns of phrase I, I, this song really paints a strong picture for me um i just think for a show like this where we are digging into references and really trying to you know get as much as we can out of it this song is just one of those that i think it would serve you best to just go listen to it um, and let that image get painted in your head um, rather than let us uh you know belabor it i suppose yeah no and and like most most things in the world you can you can get something out of it and so i i do really see this as a light uh musing on sentimentality and mourning and sorrow and you know kind of a goofy way to go about it but i i think it is it is not bereft of meaning it's not devoid of of any sort of depth it's you know it's a song that could be summed up literally with the first line and the last line and it kind of is at the end where no one saw the carny go i say it's funny how things go nothing else really happened during the song um but I, there's still there's still something here to to reflect on as much as there is uh with i guess any any story yeah he's just telling you a story and and if if you can just enjoy that like i think we do you know just enjoy those because so many of these songs are imbued with with meaning and um it's just nice to be taken somewhere absolutely horrifying every once in a while and like you said you know light meditation on you know mourning um sorrow and all that you could read it as a light critique of i know we were joking about the managerial nature of uh, boss bellini but you could read it as a light critique of capitalism um though i would be hard pressed to defend it as being the song's intent no author author's intent be gone i'm not even gonna try and speak to that with this <laughs> but um yeah yeah no there's not nothing here and some sometimes that's the lesson right you read something and sometimes the lesson is just not to dig too deep that's a good one too unless you're burying a horse <laughs> Then you should have um, dug a deeper one. <laughs> I think this song's a good foil to Sad Waters, right? Because we have yeah. this sort of 
this evolution of cave a really earnest beautiful song with a tinge of sadness a good amount of happiness and just when you think you know his style might be nailed down for the album and you might be ready to expect that there's this thing and it's just (laughs) right off the bat like oh you like that song well you'll fucking hate this one this one's called Um, gross waters it's got a horse corpse floating in it (laughs) but it's it's there's not a lot to compare to it in his discography even amongst uh some of the longer songs so it it definitely uh you know kind of hits the spot every once in a while i i definitely dig it absolutely and uh i'm gonna i'm gonna lay a bit of trivia on you here see if you can answer this one this song in what film ties together nick cave Peter Falk of Columbo and Nicolas Cage. <sighs> you know, I think you stumped me. Could you could you elucidate me in the audience on this one? I can. The answer is Wings of Desire. And uh, it's a fantastic film. It's a German language film about angels who can uh, who are, are present in Berlin and can read the thoughts of people and wander around and the movie centers on someone who is in a circus that has gone out of business and one of the angels falls in love with her and this is i believe is the only time we ever see a nick cave and columbo crossover in that peter falk stars as himself and we get uh, a nick cave concert at the end where he plays the carney and he plays from her to eternity it's good they stuff. are forever intertwined in the Vim Vendor's cinematic universe. Um, I have to say, the scene of them playing the carny in front of a bunch of people that are, like, they're enthralled, which makes sense, but they're kind of, I feel like they're kind of, like, swaying a bit and, like, grooving a little bit on it, and that just seems absurd to me. Like, this should just be chasing people out of the club they're performing it in. <laughs> Well, and, and Nick is just sitting on a stool, kind of hanging onto the microphone and not really doing anything. And it, yeah, it's it's an odd thing to play in front of people. You know, Your Funeral, My Trial came out, what, 86? And yes. Wings came out 87. And so I could see them just kind of playing Your Funeral, My Trial at the concert. But uh, it's also their second to last song, because in the end they play... Uh, from her to eternity and so it's just a very strange set list i'd love to hear what came before that but <laughs> unfortunately we don't get that yeah um the album also came out you know during the band's uh, tenure in berlin and uh you know i think that was a big part of them choosing uh this band to represent you know, what is a very, you know, obviously Berlin-focused story? Yeah. The Peter no. Falk thing? Not sure where that came from, um, but a welcome addition because he's kind of the best. Yeah. No, I think that uh, I think there was a deep love for Columbo in Vin Vemmerder's mind. I think that there was a deep love for The Seeds in his mind. And just the Berlin music scene in general. He actually said, you know, making a film in Berlin um, was synonymous with having you know, the seeds and also the band um, Crime in the City Solution, which Roland S. Howard and Mick Harvey play in in the movie and in real life. 
um, yes. because they were cutting edge and they were grunge before anyone knew the word for it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he said, literally, that's what that's where Berlin was. And so, you know, he couldn't picture making a movie of that time uh, set in that place without those guys. And so I think that's really cool. It speaks to how just how influential they were at the time and how you know big they were in the art scene in general to have been asked to, to star in those. Or not to star in this, but to appear in this. Absolutely. No, I think it was probably somewhat of a draw. Um, I mean, it's the reason I know about the movie. And, um, you know, I'm a pretty big Columbo fan. So uh, I, I heard about it through through uh, Nick Cave's appearance first. Yeah. And there's, there's a great scene where uh, the, the woman, the trapeze artist in the circus, is actually lamenting that the circus is closing down. And she lies on her bed and she whips out the fucking album of your funeral my trial full cover shot and all and puts it on just flips of the carney and uh listening to that music is actually the scene that the the angel realizes he's in love with her <laughs> which is fucking weird to uh, have this playing in the background and and realize that's when you want to really engage with humanity you skipped sad waters for this shit that would have been the perfect one uh, unbelievable it's wonderful it's amazing um Oh, and, and the last part of my trivia, I, I mentioned Nicolas Cage as well. For those of you who have seen the all right movie, City of Angels, that is actually a loose remake of Wings of Desire. So uh, connected in that way. And I, I say loose in, in the loosest possible term. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the carny, folks. We, uh, we, we mind it as much as we could. Uh, but really, it's a sort of just this haunted fairy tale, this, you know, perhaps not even cautionary tale, really. Um, you know, we no reason to distrust the narrator. That's sort of new. Yeah. Yeah, just a, just a great time that was had by all. Haunting. Disturbing. We get uh, the cave-over-cave cave vocals throughout, if you haven't listened to yes. it yet. The deliveries are, are impeccable, but uh, yeah, no, I don't think uh, we, we should have dug a deeper one on this episode. I think that that's most of what there is to say. This horse's grave is just right. <laughs> that's right. We did it. Andrew, for next time, what should the listeners at home be listening to? Yes, you all should be listening to the third and titular track. From this album, it's called Your Funeral, My Trial. Sean, it's been great talking about the Carney with you. Now, what if the listeners want to talk with us about the Carney and other songs? Where could they find us? Well, that's a great question. You know, if the listeners at home have access to the internet, which I assume they do because they're listening to this podcast, they can hop on their email and they can send us a message at todayslessonpod at gmail.com. They can also hop on the Twitterverse and uh, ping us or, or do whatever it is you do on Twitter and at us at todayslessonpod. Or they can throw a few shekels our way if they feel like we're doing a great job at uh, patreon.com slash todayslesson. Goddamn right. Sean, oh, yeah. Andrew. Until next time. Uh, I guess the carny ain't gonna show. No. <laughs> we could do. We love Nick Cave. We haven't done that in a while. I don't like that one.
I think that uh, I think okay. we'd be good at it now. <laughs> Sean, Andrew. Until next time. We, we should have uh, dug a deeper, deeper one. Deeper one. That's better. Not bad. Not not half bad. Bye. Uh bye. <laughs>